All right. Uh, good evening to everybody out there. You're watching Amateur Radio Roundtable, a show about ham radio, shortwave, electronics, you name it, we've got it here. And uh, we, we welcome you, and especially uh, if you're out there listening on shortwave station WBCQ on 7490, we uh, would love to hear from you. Send us an email. Tell us where you are. Our address is uh, tom at w5kub.com, tom at w5kub.com. If you will, hit that uh, subscribe button right down in that area there, subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. It helps uh, YouTube to uh, share our show with other people. It helps them to find our show when they're out looking for uh, shows similar to ours. Uh, join our um, Join our Facebook group. Our Facebook group, group is called W5KUB. We've got about 14,000, 15,000 members in that group now, so it's, uh, it's still growing uh, pretty good, and uh, it has a lot of good information, and you can ask questions and get a lot of answers and help uh, in that group. Um, we're on every podcast carrier out there, iTunes, uh, Google Play, iNet Radio, a Spreaker, uh, all those just uh, you can you can uh, find our audio only show uh, out there on any podcast carrier. So we'd love to uh, have you just find us anywhere you can, and uh, hopefully you enjoy the program. Hey, there's a shot of uh, WBCQ up in uh, Monticello, Maine, right there on 7490. Uh, I've got a I got a recent shot here. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, look at that. Hey, look at that, Glenn. Look at that, man. What do you think about that, Glenn? WBCQ. It seems like they always. It seems like the hard line is always freezing up up there. You know, man. Yeah, you know those electrons are freezing, jumping off that. Sounds like they're always freezing up there, man. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, we've been on uh, WBCQ now. I don't know, five or six, seven years, I guess, quite a, quite a while, quite and a while. Uh, we've enjoyed uh, uh, being on on the air with them. Hey, uh, we got Jim with us tonight. Everybody knows Jim has been going through some major. Uh, uh, medical treatments, and uh, he uh, he looks like he's feeling fair tonight, and he's with us tonight, and he's got a few, couple of things he'll share with us. We got Brett with us, we got Glenn with us, uh, and of course we've got me with us. Hey, tonight uh, I've got a we're going to go back in time a little bit, but a lot of people probably haven't seen this or don't remember it. Uh, I've got a walk around tour that I did with. Uh, Ameritron. So if you want to see how Ameritron amps are made and see all the insides and everything, we're going to look at that in a little while. And also the metal shop. Did you know MFJ makes their own metal boxes? And um, uh, I did a walk around up there with uh, uh, in the metal shop uh, right after they had to replace their cutting machine. Uh, their machine went down and I don't know if they had to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get a new machine in there. And uh, we're going to see that new machine. We're going to see them cut some uh, some uh, metal out and bend it, and, uh, and we're going to see their silk screen process. So I think you'll uh, you'll like that. Um, let's see. Hey, hey guys, uh, you know the average speed. Let me show you something. How does an airplane fly? Let's talk about airplanes. How does an airplane fly, guys? Right, there it is, right there. Got a little magic here, a little magic there happening. That's that's how it flies. But you know, a typical airliner flies about oh five hundred and something miles per hour, I think. 
but hey, you know, talking about our balloons and being very familiar with the uh, jet stream, uh, the reason I'm bringing this up tonight, the jet streams have been over 800 miles an hour up there, and there have been a number of, of uh, different carriers that have exceeded 800 miles per hour. The speed of sound is 790 miles an hour, guys, and some of these uh, some of these commercial airlines have hit uh, uh, 840 miles per hour. What do, you, what do you think about that, guys? 840 miles an hour. What do you think? Well, yeah, but that's uh, ground speed, not airspeed. So they're not exceeding the speed of sound at altitude. Well, I don't know. I might, I might have to get Brett to argue that with you in a little while because I'm not smart enough to argue it. Brett, do you, you think you can argue that? Is he, is he right or wrong? Yeah, no, that makes sense. If the uh, if that's uh, that could be ground speed. If they you know if they if they've got a tailwind, um, the the Concorde broke the speed of sound, but conventional airplanes would basically fall apart if they you know if they did. They're just not built to handle the stresses. Yeah, you and you the, know, you uh, mean the door plug might fall out. Yeah, the door may pop open and fall, uh, come open here, but uh, yeah, hey, but you know, hey, typical airline speed is about five hundred seventy-five miles an hour. Uh, so in, in, anyway, hey, eight hundred and forty miles an hour. I watched some videos, and uh, they they weren't in a, just a real smooth ride either. It looked like they were doing. It looked like they were doing eight hundred forty miles an hour on a on a bucking horse, to tell you the truth. Uh, hey, another airline story I saw a while ago, Asia, Air Asia, you know, the movie Snakes on an Airplane, they had, uh, they had uh, uh, the uh, the staff on the airplane, what do you call them, not stewardess anymore, but uh, what do flight you call crew? them, what it, say again, flight crew, yeah, flight, the flight crew, that's not the way, well, exactly the one, but they were, they were, they were picking snakes up. They were crawling down the overhead luggage rack, snakes. So that was another one. Is so, so hey, we got snakes uh, crawling down the planes. We got doors coming off. We got uh, we got air, air, regular airliners uh, exceeding the uh, sound barrier. Man, this is a time to fly. Ooh, gee whiz. Hey, I also want to talk tonight. There is. And we'll get into discussion, and, and I'm sure you guys probably know a little more about what's going on to me. I want to talk about uh, Congress has uh, issued a a bill, S3690, which will allow amateur radio antennas in home, in, in HOAs. So we'll talk a little about HOAs tonight. And let's see. Oh, another thing. You know, we talked about the Jasper, Alabama radio station that disappeared last week. If you guys weren't on the show last week, you, you may look this up. There was this AM station in Jasper, Alabama. The entire 200-foot tower came up missing, and all their equipment in their transmitter building came up missing. There's a lot of controversy about that. I've watched a lot of videos, and... Uh, there's, uh, there's, you know, there, there's no impact on the ground where a tower fell. Uh, you know, I mean, something fishy's going on out there, I think. We'll talk a little about that in a little while. And, uh, okay, so, and I'll just mention, I still need volunteers to help us put on the webcast of the Huntsville, oh no, of the, the Dayton Hamfest. If I can't get enough volunteers to help out 
shooting video, then we probably just won't do uh, Dayton this year at all. So let's see. Uh, yeah, I see Bill in the chat room. He has a new 200-foot tower. Uh, the uh, the station claimed the tower was worth uh, two hundred thousand dollars, but I looked at it. I looked at it, and this place is pretty run down. I mean, this is the site right here after it was bush hogged. That looks like a Ron Ron twenty five tower, guys. That that's not that's not a a two hundred thousand dollar tower. Uh, you know, so I, we'll talk more about that later. Uh, but that's the station that ended up disappearing right there. Okay, uh, let's see what we got here. Hey, I tell you what, let's let's jump around the room here. I see uh, uh, Brett's up first. Hey, Brett, how you doing, man? What are you What have you been working on? Oh boy, well, I've been trying to hook up so that I could uh, do better presentations. I've been trying to hook up a uh, an Intel Play microscope to my computer as a video source so that I can uh, so that I can show things little tiny things on Zoom. And the problem I'm having is it's a wonderful little device, but it was made for Windows 98. And I don't know if I can get it to play even with Windows 7, much less one of the more recent versions of Windows. So I'm still, um, still poking around on that. Well, just, just check with Glenn because uh, he runs. I mean, he's, he's pretty up to date. He's up to Windows 7 now. Mm -hmm. He could there probably you help you get that thing running there. And let's see what else. I, this weekend, I went to the Adams County, Colorado Swap Fest, which was a really great flea market and spent a long time looking around there and also sold some lightning protection gear. I, I have some extra. I have a big case of the polyphaser devices that uh, that I was showing. And I went and sold some of that and bought and then, of course, immediately splurged and spent the money on other ham gear. <laughs> so right. I added to my collection. All right. Well, very good. Yeah, I'm going to start getting out and going to some of these small ham fests. Glenn's been going. I'm going. We've got a couple coming up we'll talk about in a little while. But that's great. Hey, while we're at, while we got Jim in here now, Jim Jim may decide he wants to go to bed early tonight. Jim, of course, uh, we, 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 we're really glad you're with us tonight, but we know that uh, it's tough what you're going through. So go ahead and pick it up, uh, Jim. And Okay. Good, uh, Talk to good us. evening. <clears throat> yeah, it's um, chemotherapy is what I'm going through, and it's um, uh, because of the beginnings of leukemia. So the oncologist had uh, had five cycles last year. So each cycle is about a month long. Uh, at the beginning of the month, you go for typically five days and then three weeks to recover because basically you're being poisoned. Uh, so they're killing off blood cells. And um, as a result of, that, of each cycle last year, I became an inpatient. I was sometimes rushed by ambulance from the house. Um, code 3 doing not so well. Um, one of the things they've done is to um, transfuse me. Not excuse me, but transfuse me. And uh, so I had transfusion number 19 on Thursday. I'm not happy about that, but you have no choice. Um, <clears throat> blood counts are so low because the poison is killing off, mm. I think, all of the cells. So my um, hemoglobin was below a certain number, and I could barely walk to the front door to get in the car. Uh, so it's it's debilitating, and uh, um, I don't want to 
bore people with it, but it's one of those things where you just sort of have to decide you're going to go through it or not. And I've decided to go through it. So right now we're scheduled for two more cycles. We did January, February, we'll do March and April. Uh, and then uh, there's going to be an assessment. Uh, they changed chemicals too. Uh, the first chemical wasn't working because after I got through, uh, my blood count stayed low. They didn't recover. So this new uh, drug called Vidaza, Vidazzle me. I don't know who thinks up these names, Vidaza. Hmm. And so um, I, I think it's made in China, to be honest with you. So I'll go through that and then they'll assess. If it doesn't work, we're kind of at the end of the line. There's not much left. And just then there's just care for the, the, the pain and suffering that you're going through. So hoping uh, that uh, Vidasmi works, uh, works well. And you have to learn all this stuff. You have to learn yeah. what hemoglobin is and white counts yeah. and yeah, all that stuff. Well, it's, it's, it's tough what you're going through. Uh, but to uh, have some enjoyment, I guess you're still trying to make uh, ham radio videos. I, and, I'm working on one right now. Yeah. And it's been kind of fun. Um, I can tell you a little bit about it if you want. Yeah, let's well, yeah, let, let's pick Glenn up, and then we'll come right back, and we'll okay. we'll take you first, okay? Yes, sir. Hey, Glenn, come on in here and tell us uh, how things are down here, man. Come on. Oh man, things are going great, guns, man. Um, we're a couple chapters in on the final proof of the ARRL Arduino book, and uh, Elector in Europe uh, dropped two hundred and something pages of the book over there on me last week so both of these books are you know going full speed they should be out almost any time now at this rate um and it's so funny you know because sometimes i write this stuff six months a year ago before we get to this stage and as i'm going through some of these chapters i'm like did i write this or did my editor tweak it yeah, and I've yeah. actually gone back to my originals. It's like, no, you wrote this, and I'm like, no, it's too good. Somebody else wrote this, so I'm really liking how these books are turning out. The elector is going to be full color on everything, so yeah, that's going real good. I almost went to the Hoxie Ham Fest this past weekend, and uh, decided at the last minute, no, nah, I'm going to stay home and work on the books. But uh, what is it? Uh, you got the Russellville Ham Fest on March 2nd that I'm seriously considering. And then the West Tennessee and Trenton with yeah. you on uh, March 16th. Yeah. So that's kind of what I got going on. Well, um, Kathy and I are thinking about we may add a day or two to our trip over Russellville. Go somewhere and do something nice. But uh, yeah. I'm thinking uh, the the Trenton is coming up just maybe a, a week and a half after that or a week after that. Something yeah. like it. Also, Not long. For those in the Memphis area, on uh, March the 12th, Tuesday, I'll be doing an Arduino seminar at uh, the Delta Club in Memphis. Okay. All right. So that what, just got nailed down this afternoon. All right. What I was going to say is, if you wanted to go up to Trenton with me, we could, you could ride up with me. That's probably uh, a good idea. You know, on, uh, on that Saturday, uh, we'll try to get out fairly early. You know, I mean, it's going to be probably an hour and a half up there. So, you know, we ought to yeah. try to get out by 
Well, leave you're your along the way, so I could easily leave early and just meet at your house. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll agree here. All right. So, uh, hey, let's. Uh, we'll talk about all that a little bit later in in depth. There. Let's go back to. Um, let's go back to Jim. Hey, Jim, going in here, and you you've got some you got some things to tell us that I didn't really know about. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you got there? Of course, I, I should tell you, I always knew it, but that, that wouldn't be You true. always knew it? Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things I was trying to figure out was, this is, um, uh, there's a couple of connectors missing, but this is approximately 20 UHF connectors, PL259, SO239. So there's 20 of them in a line. Wow. And 20 uh, end connectors. And the question is, um, which one should I use? Um, Brett mm -hmm. knows the answer mm -hmm. to this because we've already talked about it. But what connector is, is a good connector for the typical ham radio station? Mm -hmm. Should you use an N connector? And in doing some research, um, I, I found that the, uh, there were, were three connectors I looked at. A BNC, N, and the UHF male. And um, I found that the BNC was named after, and Brett already told me he knew the names. It's a bayonet Neil Councilman connector. So Neil and Councilman were two guys uh, who came up with, uh, with that connector. Um, and then, uh, as you know, it's pretty good at a lot of frequencies. The um, end connector is the Neil connector. I, I didn't know that. Uh, hmm. And of course, it's a fairly difficult connector to uh, uh, to get going. So the question is, which is the, uh, the best connector uh, for me to use? And I'll bring myself back up and bring me back up on the screen. Um, so Tom, you're an IEEE member. You already know the answers to some of these things. Brett uh, does too, I'm sure. But which is the best connector at, let's say, 30 megahertz? Does, is there a difference in the loss between an N connector and a UHF male? How much power? Ah, <laughs> let's say uh, 500 watts. Uh, <laughs> I'm, E-reading it just watch. yeah, I would use the N connector rather than the BNC because the BNC isn't rated okay. that much. Now let's now he was talking that, about yeah. the the PL two fifty nine and the, the yeah. N. Now but those two right between the PL two fifty nine and the N connector, which one would you use at thirty megahertz the five hundred watts? Mm. When you get up to 30 megahertz, you're getting out of uh, PL259 territory. If I had my choice, I'd use I, I'd use the N. You can get away with UHF, uh, you know, with, with okay. PL259, but you're gonna get a little bit of loss. Okay, uh, here's what I've measured more than once. There's no difference between the two at 30 megahertz. Period. Not an ounce worth of difference. Uh, I was I was going to uh, I was going to say there wouldn't be an ounce of difference. Yep. <laughs> I was going to say with the with the UHF, I don't think it starts dropping off until like 70 megahertz and above. Well, look, guys, if you, if you guys remember the Motorola duplexer I have here that, that's uh, spec to go four, uh, uh, 450 to 480 
megahertz, they used the uh, they used the uh, PL two fifty nines on it. Yeah. Now, at uh, four to five hundred megahertz, there's a slight difference between the two in favor of the end connector. At one gig, the way I measured it was the end connector versus the PL two fifty nine. Uh, the PL-259 had about two and a half times the loss of the end connector. At 400 megahertz, you're kind of getting to the point where you should cross over to the end connector. But here's the issue with the end connector, and, and Brett asked the right question, which is how much power. Uh, I looked through every data sheet I could find. Brett, if you find one, let me know. That would just say what uh, the loss is at various frequencies, like a chart. Here's our end connector, and here's the loss. Couldn't find it. But the issue with the end connector is power. Uh, and at 1500 watts, it's a real dicey connector because the pin wants to withdraw from the socket that it's plugged into. And what, and this has been my experience, unless it's a perfectly made connector and it's hard to do, the connection will carbon up and open and go high resistive and then pretty much it's an open. So the end connector is good, but not if you're running power. So the PL259, which was originally a banana plug with a shell uh, when it was invented in the 1930s, it really was a banana plug connector. Uh, and by the way, it was call it's called UHF because at the time it was invented, 30 megahertz was the end and, and anything beyond that was mm -hmm. considered UHF. So. Uh, it was considered a UHF connector. You it's know, it's an easy. Yeah. I was, hey, I was going to say, uh, uh, Jim. One of the things that uh, I think Hal brought it up in the chat room. Uh, PL two fifty nine. There's a big difference between a high quality, like with yeah. Teflon, Teflon uh, dielectric in it, or a cheapy, uh, you know, Chinese with bake like or plastic or something, you know. There's a huge difference. Um, he's right. And mm -hmm. you may look at a connector and go, oh, that looks like Teflon. And it turns out it really isn't. It's plastic. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, a, a gold-plated pin, silver-plated connector with the right uh, dimensions where it threads on easily and threads off easily, uh, those are hard to find. They really are. You have to go pay top dollar. Uh, Brett knows of a source. Who is that, Brett? Uh, yeah. Well, it's, well, there there are a number of them, but you know, go with a name brand like uh, Pasternak or Amphenol, and you'll yeah. be okay. I like um, Amphenol. Or or go, you know, you were talking about Neil and Konselman, the the two uh, the, the the two inventors of these various connectors. You could also go if you wanted with the Konselman connector, which most people yeah. have never heard of. Yeah. What is it's that? What's that? Two alligator clips? No. No, it's a good connector. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's made primarily by Amphenol. Pasternak, which used to be RF Industries, makes it also. And it has the rubber seal of the end connector, which is one of the big benefits of the end connector. It's mm -hmm. somewhat waterproof. Mm -hmm. But it's a bayonet connector like a BNC. And it has, a, it has a longer pin that makes better contact. So it's probably better than all of the ones we've mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the shame is that it only goes up to six gigahertz. If you want to do really high microwave stuff, then you're back using things like SMA. But uh, for anything under six gigahertz, uh, the C connector, which radio manufacturers aren't using, is probably better than all of them. Yeah. 
I think for ham radio operators, the standard PL259, but absolutely a, a good quality, a, a top name, top brand. Don't go for the cheapy one, the one that's a dollar and a half. Uh, you have to get a good connector. And it's really important in your station that, you know, the most important part of your station isn't things like the microphone, it's the feed line and the antenna. So you don't go cheap on it. And uh, my last comment is, all I'm talking about are simple, seemingly simple connectors. But mm -hmm. Brett could probably talk for half an hour on the very, on the various connectors. There's lots of twists. Sorry, there's lots of, there's lots of things to consider in connectors. So here we're talking about something that seems so insignificant. It's on the end of your feed line, but there are different kinds and different choices. But uh, PL two fifty nine in most cases, that's a good quality connector, silver plated, threads on easily, threads on, and that's really the test. If the pitch of the thread isn't exactly as it should be, it doesn't go on and off smoothly. So, um, and it's one that we can put on. It's hard for the average ham to put on an end connector and do it right. I can attest to it's that. It's more difficult for sure. It takes more time. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we learned some about connectors tonight. We learned uh, who invented them. And I've already forgotten. It was Neil and somebody else. Consulman. Consulman, yeah. All right. Very good. Well, hey, Jim, thanks for bringing it to us, man. And uh, looking welcome. forward to little little uh, segments like this every week. And, uh, we, you know, we'll pick up some new uh, knowledge every week on it's, things like this. It's, yeah, it's interesting how little things in our mm -hmm. ham radio station have all these variables or different choices and how important it is. And, uh, and, uh, you think, well, really? <laughs> yeah, really. It's, there's a lot to learn. Even if you've been a ham, you and I've been hams for 60 years and I'm still learning stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, hey, thanks Jim. You're welcome. All right. Let's see. Uh, should we jump into, uh, maybe a marathon here? Maybe, maybe. Let's do well, that. Before right, we okay. go there, Tom, we've got some unfinished business from last week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you cut the show off a little bit early because of some issues. Well, yeah. I, I think we yeah. owe it to the viewers to explain that little <clears throat> technical difficulty. Well, w w what can I say, man? What can I say? You know, we finally found the source of the the audio stream that was getting back in. I didn't realize it was coming back in my mic. I thought <laughs> I thought it was coming in through you know one of the many PCs we have networked here, but of course it wasn't. So so uh, I informed Glenn last week it was the TV, it was not the TV. It was the uh, it was a refrigerator in the kitchen, guys. That's, Wait a second. Wait a second. That's all I can say. You know. The refrigerator was doing what? We, I think we, it was calling CQ and a condom. We, we had we had some audio coming in on a show. It was actually it was YouTube audio coming in a show that we yeah, couldn't from your, find you, from your refrigerator. Yeah, that we he couldn't find. The refrigerator yeah. watching YouTube videos. We, could, we couldn't we couldn't find it. Couldn't this find. This is what's it. called an id IoT device. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah. You have to pay. I, I can't say much. I can't say much more about it, really. I, 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 I was that a trade-up 
item? Do you want music with your refrigerator? Uh, you know. No, I'll, I'm I'll waiting. I'm waiting for my uh, my uh, MIG welder out in the shop to do it next. Yeah. You know. Now my refrigerator makes coffee. It's got a coffee maker. Is that right? Oh, cool, yeah. man. Cool. All right. All right. Hey guys, look, we're gonna go to Meritron. And look at some of the Meritron, the assembly, and the different components of their uh, amplifiers and talk. The audio was not great. Um, uh, I had one microphone, and I had one of the Heil Pro microphones, and it is so, you got to talk so close into it. When I, when I uh, aimed at Mike, at uh, uh, the person we we're talking to, uh, sometimes the audio was low because we just weren't close enough. I've tried to enhance the audio. Um, uh, I've gone in and tried to enhance the audio on those sections. So, guys, uh, turn your speaker up. I may be a little louder than the other guy. Hopefully, you can bear with it. But um, uh, it, it is what it is. So, I've got that video. It's probably about a 10 or 12-minute video. And then we've got another one of their metal shop. And we'll be uh, looking at that new machine they've got that, that stamps out. Uh, all their uh, metal uh, metal products here. So let me see if I can uh, bring this up here. This would be this will be the uh, Ameritron tour. All right. All right. Let's see what we can do here. Here we go. Here. Hey guys, we're at uh, Ameritron right now, and we're. Randy and Randy, what's your call? Or do you have KT5 NIS? And Randy's going to take us around here. But the first thing I noticed, I mean, you know, you guys build some high power amplifiers here, right? That's right. And there's all kinds of ways to check it. But the uh, first thing I was noticing is the marijuana plants down here in the center. Now, y'all use those specially to uh, the RF somehow. What do you mean by high power? The high power stuff right there. You, you use those to kind of help tune the amplifiers, right? Which way do we need to go first? Go down this way. All right. That looks like an input circuit for one of your amps. Input circuit for the uh, the 82, the 1500, and the 1200 circuit. Uh, so, yeah, you can see the little tuning slugs right yeah. there on the side. Hi. So, so there's an individual uh, uh, tuning coil there for each each of the bands. Right. Like individual slugs for each band. So. We tune that here. That's not something the customer normally does. We tune it here to yeah, match yeah. the tube to the transmitter. I've got an AL80B. Does it have something similar to this, or are they? All the tube amplifiers have something similar. It's not exactly like this, but everyone yeah. know, is made to match the amplifier in the tube. Okay. Well, let's, let's see what all you got here. Oh. This is one of the models they used to go by the deal. And you can see that network that you were just looking oh, yeah. at right here the in the front. This, network, this yeah. is the band switch. So uh, at the same time you're switching the input network, you're also switching the output network. Right, right. right. So and these are what, 3-500s? Uh, these are 3-500s. Yeah, this is the AL82. So uh -huh. uh, okay. basically all three amps are the same except for this tube chassis here. So yeah. they all have the same power. So that's pretty good. Yeah, these these uh, squirrel cages, they move a tremendous amount of air for the noise yeah. the noise level that they have. So. And they, we force it down into that chassis, and it comes up around the tubes. And, of course, the ceramic tubes, the 1500 ceramic tube, it goes up through the fins, so it keeps it really nice and cool. So this is the beautiful work, man. I mean, it just this is a pretty amplifier here with the three. Yeah, we wind all yeah. these coils 
Um, you build the capacitors? Build the capacitors and stuff like that here. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's very little bit uh, about the amplifier that we don't uh, make ourselves. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm so we got various parts here. Okay. Oh man, that is a beautiful tuner. And uh, you see this? This is similar to the MFJ roller inductor. Uh -huh. uh, we make, we actually wind this ourselves as yeah. well. But you can see what this is made of. This is a, a quarter inch. Uh, look, looks about 063 uh, copper that's silver plated. Yeah. And then all the components are also silver plated. And that roller inductor, you guys make this roller inductor? We make this, yeah. We make yeah. this, we wind this, this, everything we wind here. So we've got a silver plated uh, air core with a silver plated roller uh, rolling down it. So it makes a good contact. Yeah. And that is smooth too, man. That, that, that's just really, really uh, smooth there. And you've got the, uh, you got, you got your, your yeah, caps in there. Yeah. Air variables that we, we uh, put together and, and just basically a, a switch for the different coax outputs and then a, Balance for a ladder line. Very nice, very nice. Uh huh. Yeah. And here's this is the back of uh, either, I guess the roller inductor or the uh, that's the back of the roller inductors in the front. Yeah. This is this is 80B. I've got one of these with the single uh, 3 inch 500. Of course, of course, missing the power supply. Missing the power supply transformer. Yeah. But you have a tank circuit and all there. And see, similar uh, similar situation with the input circuit, except they're in the back of the amplifier on this yeah. one. Fan switch up front, input network in the back. So, But all the amplifiers basically have the same circuitry. They just right. get a little bit bigger, yeah. a larger tube, larger power supply, stuff like that. Okay. All right. Here's the transformers. Oh, man. Some that's like, that's that's what we have in the ADB. Pretty uh, pretty heavy transformer. Pretty nice transformer. What's the voltage out on those uh, transformers? About fifteen uh, hundred or so, or two thousand? ADB. Now it runs around twenty seven hundred AC output. Then when it gets rectified, it jumps up to around thirty uh, thirty one, thirty two, okay. like that. So anytime you rectify, well, probably twenty. Yeah, it's going to put it up one point four or something times that. So all right. This is a new one? Yeah, this is a new unit that he's testing. AL82, he's testing. With the two 3500s in it, and you see he's got the cover. Okay. Is that to uh, hold down any kind of interlock switch or anything? You got an interlock switch on there? Yeah, don't get too close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one runs 3600 volts on the plate, so. Yeah. Yeah, cool, man. And uh, I see you got your bird watt meter up here, and I, do you have a kilowatt load or something? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, um, that interlock switch is really neat to have, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, about 3,000 volts floating around, maybe, you know? Uh, yeah, that's an input circuit. This also is an input circuit and the filament choke. This is for the 811 and 811H. So you can see the relay circuit and um, where you jump it to change it from 110 now volts. Relay, what's the, what are these relays for here? Relays. One of the things, you know, being a ham 50-something years, used to homebrew a lot of stuff, but we used big relays, man, to switch stuff, you know. And well, we did 
I'm amazed, I'm amazed that little small relays like this can handle a kilowatt. Well, we did that too. We had large clunky relays, okay, and then the disadvantage of that, they're kind of slow. Uh, but one of the things we've done, even with the larger relays, you run into the problem of hot switching, which they're naturally going to do by themselves if you don't control it. But we're using two individual relays. And we have a little circuit here that's going to time delay the relays so that the output of the amplifier makes connection before the input. So you don't get any power on the output relay until the input one closes. So you don't get any of the arcing. So, and then when it, when it unkeys, it does it in the opposite order. It'll unkey the input relay and then unkey the out one. So you don't get any arcing across the relays, which makes the life of the relay a lot greater. So these are, these are 16 amp relays with double contacts. So eight amps each contact. So you're actually having two contacts on the output instead of just one, which gives you double the receive capability. Sometimes the, the relays will leave, lose the receive capability because of the contact and I can make them again. But we actually have two on each relay. So now you've got two contacts making instead of just one on the receive side. So that helps a lot. Okay. Well, that's good. <coughs> yeah. Well, wait. What are, what are we building over here? Is this a ballon? Is that a ballon or something? Or? That's the one for a dipole. We use the same setup for for the current ballon. Uh -huh. And what you see, the two wires she's putting in there now, you've got those ferrite beads wrapped around that RG303 coax. Oh, see it now. Uh, can, can, I see, can I hold one of those uh, with the beads here, please? One of the things? Yeah. I, I didn't see the beads at first, but they're, they're, covered, they're covered with shrink wrap. And that'll get folded up into the 30s and put inside that pipe. And, uh, of course, you've got, I think you've got like 50 or 60 beads there, something like that. And that, that coax, that's that RG303. And it's a Teflon uh, dielectric inside, makes it very... Uh, I've built some balance with that stuff, and, I mean, it's amazing that small stuff with the Teflon, it, it's rated like uh, maybe 2,000 watts yeah, at 30 megs or something, you know? With a Teflon, man, you can get that thing super hot. It's not even going to affect it. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I didn't realize the uh, the uh, little beads were that small, and you just got a bunch of them on there, about 50 on there, and heat shrink them, heat shrink them down on that. And uh, now, does this fit inside what you're making there? Oh, you're gonna fold it into thirds. Oh, okay. It's, it's, I don't know if you can see it on the camera, but so you'll fold that in thirds and stick it down in here and try to hook it all up. Say that's a, that's for a dipole, but we also make one with a coax connector on the other end, so you can just yeah. slot it, drop into a series with your antenna if you need to. Okay, cool. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's some good coax here. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Here's your plate choke for uh, your 811 amp. Yeah, it looks like. And the feedback network, and then the. Uh, Parasitics on the top, that's right. Yep. And then the power supply. There's a power supply for one of them. And part of the, and tank, part of the tank circuit. circuit. That's right. They're on the same PC board. Yeah. And you can see that's what she's building, parasitic uh, suppressors right uh -huh. there. And then this lady is building a switching power supply for like the ALS 606 and stuff like that. And you can see this okay. the circuit board. Is that like a 50 volt supply or 48? It's, it's 50 volts, 12 volts, 12 volts negative. Uh, for all the components inside the unit. All right, so 50, uh, 50, 50 for the finals. Uh, 25 amps. 25 yeah. 50, yeah. Okay. That's what it normally runs. 25 at 50 volts. 
-huh. And then, you, of course, you have your 12-volt circuits for the chips and all that stuff. Sure. Like that. So. Okay. Okay. We'll make it. We'll make it through. Okay. What? AL six hundred. This is the solid state AL six hundred amplifier, right? And you see, she's. Uh, these are the low pass filters on the top, or switched in by the relays. And then under that, you can see the PA section right there with the finals on it. Is that some type thermal cutoff or something? That is a thermal switch on the side of the heat sink. When it gets above one hundred and seventy, I believe degrees, it's going to just click off and. Mm -hmm. Prevent the amplifier from killing. Does that amp have a fan or anything in it? It I does. It's on the. Yeah, it does. It's on the back side of the chassis, and you can see that's why that PA is wrapped in that aluminum because it's it's feeding air right through it, okay. and it comes well, out the, the side. Yeah. For that amplifier. Linear. Okay, yeah. linear power supply. Linear. I mean, a huge yeah. transformer. Right. Not, uh, switching. not switching. So, uh, I guess okay. you can think of it as analog. But. I guess. Uh, is that a uh, solid state amp? 606 and the 1306 are really very similar, but uh, you add you add another PA. So this uh -huh. is the basically the PA we're talking about here. Uh, Which so one is this? This is a 606 PA. So and power-wise, how much? Power-wise, this is 600 watts. 600 watts. But then for the 1306, all we're going to do is we're going to add another one. Oh, you're going to put two of them in there. We're going to put two of them side by side, yeah. and then the power supply will have two power supplies, one each for each one. So basically, you're just doubling everything. Well, you we run it into it. We run it into a combiner circuit, and, and uh, then run it through a low-pass filter, just okay. like just like the other. I'll show you that. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Big old transformers, man. Those things are heavy. Yeah. This is a this is a nice uh, transformer, man. And that's that's not a cheap transformer either. I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot in here, man. It's heavy, and we ship those in like three boxes. Yeah. The transformer does not come in. And here's one of the power supplies we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You see, you saw the single unit. This is for the 1306. So we're going to have two individual power supplies, 50 volts, one for each PA. Oh, so, okay. So, and that's why on the, on the uh, 1306 you have two current meters, one for each one of these power supplies. So I, I'm not real familiar with that, but I'm, 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 I, I, I guess if a power supply just quit working, you'd still have half power with the other. Not yeah, really. Not no, really. It would not. No, no because, uh, because you're going through that combiner circuit, combiner. Uh, the amplifier is going to shut off. Anytime it detects a power output between the two phase is greater than 50 watts, okay. it, it just shuts it off. So okay. All right. Well, I learned something. Yeah. units for that no, PA. What, what is, okay, the, the 1306 with two. You see the two PAs. We'll flip around here where you can see everything else. So you got the two PAs that are under the bottom, and then they come up. This is your combiner circuit, and it feeds yeah. right into the low-pass filter section. Yeah. And uh, that's basically, it's very simple. I mean, you take the power coming in, you split it right here, and you go to the two different PAs. It amplifies it, and it combines it right back together. You know that is that is so pretty. Even if I wasn't a ham, I think I'd buy me one of these, take the cover off, and just set it on my coffee table for people to look at. Yeah, and then right here is a 606. Basically, it's half of this amplifier. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't think I have this one operational. Let me see if I do. Kaboom! No. Yeah, don't don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so basically. 
what the, uh, the 1306 and the 606 have uh, internal circuits that will control the pan. So as I switch my radio, you see, if I go to 160 meters, it's automa automatically going to 160 meters. How does it know uh, to switch like that? Does it send some type data signal, cat signal or something? Kenwood, ICOM, Yesu, I'll use different signals, but this one will accept all three of them. To, if it's yeah, that's kind of neat. For instance, if I had this thing remoted with a rig pie, I could change bands, and the amplifier would change automatically. Right, and we also have a device where you can do that over the Internet. So you'll be able to remotely control the amplifier through an Internet connection. So if you have that with your radio and you control the amplifier too. So, so you can do that or you can manually change it just like this, and you can hear the low-pass filters yeah. changing in and out. But, yeah, that'll be something that's uh, new. That'll be our newest thing would be the Internet control, which works with that, uh, was it, the MFJ1234? The RIG-5-1234, yeah. Everything remotely and operate a complete remote station at, at uh, 1300 watts if you wanted to. Okay, great. All right, well, hey, uh, what's your call? KC5 NIS. NIS, KC5 NIS. Okay, well, great. Thanks for showing us around. And uh, well, right hand, right hand shake. All right, guys, uh, well, that was a tour of Ameritron. I hope the audio was okay. I tried to manually uh, compensate there some. So, if the audio wasn't good, it's my fault. Well, what do you think? What do you think about that, uh, guys? Brett? Yeah, well, I was offered one of those amplifiers at the Swap Fest, and I was very tempted. You say you were offered one? Yep, I was offered one. Uh, the fellow, the, the fellow offered me. Uh, he kept. Cutting the price, he I guess oh. he really wanted to you know really wanted to sell it, um, but uh, right right now I don't need one, so uh, you know I, I couldn't justify you know I don't think the XYL would have liked it if I brought it home. <laughs> yeah, well you know um, you should have you should have got it. I thought when he offered it he was going to give it to you, and I was going to say man if you turned that down, we got a problem here, you know. But he know. he was going to sell it to you. Well, I, I guess a used price, right? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's worth a few hundred dollars at least, maybe about four or five hundred. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say so. All right. Well, Glenn, uh, what do you think about that, man? Uh, we got to we got to see how they do the Ameritron, how they make it, man. Yeah, that is just a cool place to go and visit. I loved it when they did, what was it, their 45th anniversary? Yeah, yeah. Um, I really love that. Uh, and, you know, they gave tours of all the facilities and got to see all that cool stuff. And uh, it's amazing when you stop and think that they make every, you know, you know those big uh, capacitor plates and everything for the, the tuners and the amps, you know, right there on the ground. So, I mean, that, that's just cool. Yeah, it's amazing. The the rotary inductors and the big caps they uh, they manufacture all the parts and put it together. It, yeah. I'm sure it saves a lot of money. I mean, man, you know, you buy just a large a large uh, air capacitor like that nowadays. Man, you pay a hundred to two hundred bucks for it. Yeah, they're yeah. they are they are expensive. You know, unless yeah. you can find I mean, a deal somewhere right like at a ham so that, fest. That's just cool. Yeah, yeah. He also does the wave soldering there on premises as well. Yeah, um, I've got that on another video. Um, that wave solder machine is uh, pretty neat. Also, the little machine that does the, the parts, the pick-and-place parts. The parts placement, yeah. 
That's I don't see how it picks it. I don't see how it picks those parts and sticks them on that board. And, and you know, that's before it hits the solder. All those parts stay on there. Yeah. I guess there's some kind of little tacky. Uh, yeah, I think they use some know. kind of like tacky resin, like paste yeah. underneath it. Yeah. And it sticks. They probably use something like a honey baked ham sauce that we get down at Huntsville. You you know, it's really <laughs> tacky, man. Just coat it with it and the parts will stay right there. Oh man, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, <clears throat> yeah, uh, a friend of mine in uh, in Canada, he um, he took a the can for a ham and split it in half, so he's got like a top half and a bottom half, and separated them uh, maybe three quarters of an inch, and fed it like an antenna, and made contacts with it on two meters. It used a can. Yeah, can well, you know, that antenna. that would work. I mean, that would be pretty easy to do on two meters. It's getting getting close to the right size, you know. You know? Yep. So yeah. that that's cool. And you know And and by the and he's got I got one of them here. He's also making these things. Yeah, um, you showed me you showed us that last yeah. time you were on. Yeah. So uh it's the same guy. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. He probably lays awake at night thinking, what can I get out of the kitchen and turn into an antenna well you know jim you may remember this if you go back 60 years like me my first two meter antenna was a tuna can glued to a, a square piece of um copper tuna can was turned upside down and it had an so 239 on the top of it and in the the 19 inch whip with an so i mean a pl259 on it and that was the two meter antenna and it, you know it was like mag, it was like a capacitive coupling. You lay that uh, you lay that uh, uh, copper sheet on top of your car, and you run your couple strips of tape on it, and there you are. You got your tuna fish uh, antenna. We had the um, the Gonset transmitter trans. Well, they were transmitter and a receiver, so they were transceiver. Mm -hmm. And that what do they call that box? Um, well, it was the, well the lunch box was a heath kit, wasn't it? Yeah, was yeah. Uh, I, had one of those I know what you're talking about, the Gonset box. Yeah, yeah, like that was my neighbor or something like that. Was it called a Goonie Bird, or am I thinking something else? I thought it was the Communicator. I don't know. Uh, it was. Uh, that was the name on the front. You're right. Hmm. Yeah. You know, speaking of antennas. Yeah. Speaking of antennas, what do you got there? Is that a manifold off your motorcycle? What is it? No, this is a this is a Wi-Fi antenna. This is made from... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And you see, if you look down at it, yeah. you can see back there, that's a quarter-wave stub. Yeah. And it feeds just this cylindrical antenna. It resonates at 2.4 gigahertz. Mm -hmm. It makes a really good directional antenna. If You you know, people used to do what was called war driving with these. Where they'd, they'd, they'd shoot this, this at people's houses. It has about 10 to 12 dB, uh, dBi of gain. It does, yeah. Well, wow. and you know, you know that exact same antenna. We actually, uh, you guys, maybe you know about this. There was a back before cable hit here. There was a service called MDS, Multipoint Distribution System, and it was a, a one-channel movie channel. And you know, you got right. you, you know, you pay you pay monthly. You get the book with all the movies in it. And uh, here in Memphis, it was called Golden West. And that was a put on by Gene Autry, you know, the cowboy. And uh, you could subscribe to that. But um, we built the little MDS receivers 
uh, it didn't have more than about $5 worth of parts in them. And we used the same coffee can antenna you're, you're showing us there, uh, Brett. It had the coffee can antenna with the little the little uh, quarter wave antenna inside. And our electronics mounted right on the side of that coffee can on that antenna. And then we ran RG, uh, RG6 from there down to the TV where we had a little box. And that, that oscillator up there at the uh, can was actually tuned by variable voltage at the bottom. So you could fine-tune the signal, you know, you could, you know, and it would, it, would, it would output a signal on channel 4 or channel 3, and we watched, you know, movies for free, and uh, uh, that was kind of cool uh, and neat, oh, yeah. too. That must have been a downverter because... Yeah, it was a downverter. Yes, it was something like 14 gigahertz. So it was a down converter. Yeah. Down a frequency that you wouldn't lose too much of in the cable. Yeah, it was a down converter. Your um, your uh, your electronics is up in the top with a little voltage voltage uh, tuned oscillator. So it's, you know it's going to drift a little up there, and so you know, hey, down here you got a little, you know, you know, eight volt to fourteen volt variable power supply, and you just turn a little knob, and you know, you just fine tune the frequency up there, and man, lock it in, and you're good to go. Yeah, the 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 FCC licensed MMDS and uh, auctioned off the spectrum, and people bought it and sat on it, so it wasn't much use. It's kind of a kind of a shame because it was a waste of good spectrum. Yeah, I think Bill in the chat room saying it was uh, probably two point two gig or two point four gig or somewhere up in there. Uh, they weren't really high, like like in a twelve or whatever. But uh, but you know, hey, it was our first movie channel. You know, we didn't even have we didn't have cable in the area. That was our first, you know, first movie channel. Of course, uh, we had people there at work that actually subscribed to Surface, so uh, the the service. So we were able to get their book each month and lay it in a copy machine, you know, and get a copy of you know what's coming on at what time, you know. But uh, hey, you know, we were talking about antennas, Jim. Um, you know, you, just about anything can be an antenna, and especially if you put some type. Transmatch or a tuner or something on it, uh, try to match it. I mean, you know, uh, people claim this antenna's best or that antenna's best or that antenna's best. Or, you know, I can take a window screen here and, and hey, I can put FT8 on a window screen and I can work the world. Now, would you say that, would you say, would you say that antenna's better than a, than a, uh, a three element beam up uh, 80 feet? I don't know. I worked the world on a window screen, you know. I, I took two light bulbs yeah, and yeah. Uh, a Y socket, yep. modified the socket to turn them into a dipole. Well, and, and there, are, there are actually contests. Uh, there used to be some contests on FT8 to see who could, t who could make a contact of furthest on a light bulb. Yeah. So, yeah. You, know, I, I, you know, I even thought about maybe trying to do that for the show one time. I'm not a real big FT8 user. Uh, I, I played with it a little bit for a month or so, maybe not even that long, uh, a couple of years ago. They've got a new uh, FT8 out. It may not be new now, but I think uh, there's a version of it that's all automatic. You don't even have to be home. It'll just keep making contacts. You know, you can let the, you can turn it. You can turn the thing on, and you can leave and come back, and you didn't work DXCC that day. <laughs> that, that's not the original. Joe Taylor and his group won't won't do that. They they refuse to make it fully automatic. But somebody but has. Somebody's got open source software. Yeah. 
And so a couple of guys have done fully automatic versions. There's yeah. One called WSJTX. Uh, sorry, WSJTZ. Um, yeah. Yeah. That uh, that that, was, that will be fully automatic. Although the newer versions aren't real stable. And then there are a couple of others. If you go if you go to GitHub, you can uh, you can see what's available. And there are, there are several there 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 are there there are several forks of the original software that will be fully automatic. Yep. Yep. Well, I was going to try it out. I couldn't make it work very well with my computer over here, so I I never was real successful with the turn it on, walk away uh, version of it. You know, oh, man. I got I got too many other things to do here. Well, you uh, know, going back to the antennas on two meter, Tom, you forgot to mention the one that most of us built way back then. You know, you were close with your your tuna can. Would take that SO two thirty nine solder a nineteen inch coat <laughs> hanger yeah. into it. And then in the four holes for the mounting. Oh yeah, yeah. We'd put four ground plane, make you a ground plane out of it. Yeah, ground plane, mm -hmm. and that was our two meters. I ran that at my house in Miami forever. And you ran RG fifty eight to it. Oh, of course. Well, <laughs> why not? Why not? You know. That's right. <laughs> and it worked. It you did. know, it still does. Yeah, know, as a matter of fact. <clears throat> oh man. Okay. All right, guys. Hey, let's take just a quick break. And we'll be right back. And, hey, we're going to go to the MFJ metal shop next. And we're going to see how they uh, punch and cut the metal and bend it and all that stuff and silk screen it. And uh, so we'll do that just in a moment. And uh, we'll be right back. So don't go away. Stick around with us. Keep your competitive contesting edge with ICON. Our innovative and high-powered base stations cut through pileups, letting you work the bands and record those contacts. Heard it, worked it, logged it. The IC7610 is the SDR every ham wants. Faint signals are no longer a challenge for DXers or contesters. The high-performance RMDR can pick out the faintest of signals, even in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. This direct sampling software-defined radio has changed the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. The IC7610 has RF direct sampling, 110 dB RMDR, independent dual receiver, and dual digit select. For more information on ICOM radios, go to www.icomamerica.com amateur. All right, guys, and we are back, and uh, we're going to go to the MFJ metal shop in a minute, and we're going to we're going to check out their new machine. You know, you know, MFJ probably has some of the lesser expensive equipment, and I think I think everybody will agree. Probably every ham shack in the world probably has at least one piece of MFJ equipment. Only one. Yeah, I don't know how they did it, but I think some everybody's got one piece of something. I don't know. I've got something. What about you? What about you, Glenn? Let's just do a quick. You got any MFJ stuff? I look to the ham shack to my left, and I see four, five, mm. six MFJ objects right there. All right. Uh, how about you, Jim? You got any MFJ? Uh, antenna. I'm big into antennas, so amongst my collection of antenna analyzers, I've got. Two MFJ, uh, what what are they called? Uh, Antenna analyzer. Yeah, but they they have a number like 
259. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking yeah. about. I've got a couple of those, too. Oh, the analyzer. Yeah, the yeah. 259, 269C. Yeah. And thereabouts. All right. Yeah. What about what about you, Brett? Have you got anything, or you just... Yes, I've what? got I've got an MFJ two two sixty nine antenna analyzer. I've got uh, several MFJ uh, SWR and watt meters, and I have uh, and I have a little uh, keyer for uh, for Morse code from them. So yeah, yeah. I've got uh, several MFJ objects around. Huh. And the in the chat room, uh, Bill says he's got ten pieces of MFJ stuff right now in view. Uh, Don says uh, he's got five. Yeah, make that five. He it keeps the count keeps going up. First he had three, now he's got five. So if he keeps looking around, he might find something else. I was gonna say if I look in the other room, I've got the antenna analyzer and a yeah, meter yeah. and a couple other things yeah. over there too. All right, so you know, like I say, I think just about every ham in the world, not just US, but in the world, he has dealers all over. And I, I think most most hams are gonna have at least one piece. Uh, wow. Why didn't Glenn? Why didn't we start MFJ 50 years ago? Because well, I was too busy buying his stuff. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember one of my first pieces of gear was that MFJ 941 tuner so I could load up the uh, rain gutter outside my apartment. Yeah, yep. And it worked well. All right, so we're going to go now to the metal shop. All his facilities in uh, in um, where Starkville. is he? Where is he? He's in uh, he's in Starkville. Stark Starkville, Stark Vegas. Yeah, Stark Vegas. He's in Stark Vegas. That's what they call it down here, big college town. Um, so uh, most all of his buildings are, are either next door to each other, or uh, or they share a building, or they're very close. The, uh, the metal shop is pretty close. Uh, and we're going to look at the metal shop now, and we're going we're gonna to see how they, how they do things. And This is a new uh, metal punch cutter he got. He had to put it in, uh, and I think, uh, I think the other one went bad, and it was going to cost something like three. It cost him like three or $400,000, I think, to, uh, uh, to replace that. So uh, that, would put, that would leave me out right there. Uh, you know, um, Glenn, I, that's the reason I didn't go in business making the MFA. I can't afford a $300,000 punch. Yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty steep price to get in there. Yeah. Okay, well, here we go. This is, this is a much shorter video. This is going to take you inside the MFA metal shop, and we're also going to do some uh, silk screening right here. So here we go. Here we go. I only got two buttons to press. before how you doing man how you doing good to see you hey man i hear you got some new equipment here yeah i got a new machine back here that's got an automatic loader on it uh we're excited about what it's doing well you know i, I hear you don't even have to be here now that thing will run itself almost yeah they're trying to get rid of me that's what it is <laughs> I, I smell paint coming or from your what is it, your uh, uh silk screen yeah i just came out of the silk screen room that's right, All right. That's, uh, that's, uh, where, what can we see first man going to run a 974 HB. All right, we're going to do a 974 HB. I'm not sure what that is. Is this it right here? This is the new one? 
Oh man, this is a uh, this is first class here, man. This is this is not like the punch I remember. Oh. Uh, all right, so yeah, I just, I'll make sure the number. Okay, so you're making a what a nine what? Uh, a nine seventy four HB. Well, let's do it. So he put, pushes the magic button here, and oh, look over there. We got something going over there. Uh, is it going to pick the metal out or something? Or it's reading what? It's reading the position of the clamps, so okay. it doesn't. So the machine doesn't punch on the clamp. Okay. Well, this is above my pay level. Oh man, this is—I don't remember the other punch being this big. Um, Did it have all this stuff? To, it does not. No, it didn't. So this is uh, what's it? What's it doing now? Filling the tires that, up or something? That air that you hear blowing is sep making sure that the sheets are separated so it doesn't pick up more than one at a time. Oh, I see. That's picked the sheet up already there. Oh, I see the suction cups right there. I didn't know. I thought that was part of the uh, system. All right. Look at this. I like it, man. Uh-oh. Uh, I like it. Yeah, I think we could build one of these. Oh, yeah. Think, man? Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Now, what's that over here? Is it is it punching? Yes, it's punching, and it, if, if you've seen or heard our other machines, you can tell that it is much quieter. It has a lot uh, quieter uh, function to it as it's running. Yeah, I, it, it sounds real muffled, like, uh, you know, it is real quiet. So how many, how many boxes are you going to punch out here on this? Um, this will punch 20 boxes on this sheet. And again, what was this product? It's a 974 HB. Now, what is that? Uh, I'm quite honestly not sure. Okay. A 974 HB, whatever that is. Somebody look it up out there. It's watching the show tonight. Whatever it is, we're going to do 24 uh, uh, boxes. We're going to do 20 boxes here real quick. In the past, we were only able to punch five of these at a time, and the sheets had to be cut into sections. Now we'll punch 20 of them and not have to cut the sheet. Um, no, no, I don't. Do we have anything that's already punched out here? So, ready to be yeah, so I'm guessing that two uh, quartz connectors go in here, probably a meter, and maybe a, maybe a capacitor and a sensitivity or something, I don't know. There it is. Hey, so, um, Let's walk through. Let's walk through the uh, uh, silk screen. Let have Brad take us through the silk screen. I know it's 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 painty in here, right? It's it's it's, it's, it's okay. All right. Let's uh let's walk through. We won't stay long because uh, I don't want my eyeballs coated with with that. But here we go. We're going into secret silk screen area here now. All right. I can smell paint already. 
All right. Hello, how are you? What? So you're making the, uh, you're silk screening the 945E, whatever that is. Looks like a antenna tuner or something. Yeah, you're going to be on our show. No, it'd be probably Tuesday night. So, uh, have you, uh, can you, in a minute, when you get ready, can you silk screen us uh, uh, something? Or are we not? Yeah, I, I know. Well, that's okay. But just tell us how it works, okay? That's, it's, it probably is. Just tell it. Just kind of uh, go through the process and tell us what you do. You, you raise us up and what put the put the board in there or, or the, the the cover. Yeah, it, it, has, it has to be set up first. And uh -huh. you just take it and this you call it a jeep, but it keeps it in place so it don't slide or anything. Uh huh. Make sure it's clean and free of dust or debris. And you just take it and you want to make sure you get everything on there. You gotta press hard, put pressure on it. Do you, not, do you go over it just once? Just once. If you go over it twice, it may, yeah, you it know, may. blur or yeah. look that looks double. Good. That looks really good. Wow, the whole thing's printed here. Yeah, looks good. All right. Well, you got your another one now. How long does it take before this uh, paint dries, so you can't, you know, smear it with your hand? Maybe a, a tint. Oh, really? All right. Okay. Well, I messed it up. Oh, you bad. You bad. But it just takes a minute or two. You bad. It dries pretty fast. Well, that's very good. Okay, we're going out. I'm really impressed with the new punch, man. I like it. It's doing a really good job for us. So metal, you get metal coming in here. Now, some of this metal's already painted black, isn't it? Do you order it with the... We order it when it comes in. It's already painted black. Yeah. Uh, we we do have some that's that's plain aluminum or whatever, but yeah. our black metal is already pre-painted when it comes in. So if you wanted to punch a box that you don't have a, a configuration for, is it fairly easy for you to go to a computer and just draw a couple little circles and measurements and say you know use this template and stamp me out a box? It is. Uh, you can go in and and place. Uh, coordinates in AutoCAD or, or use a DXF drawing file and this uh, software that we're using actually will generate the box for us. Well, next time I build something I have to send you an email man and, and uh, give you the dimensions there. Okay guys well <coughs> excuse me that was the uh, <coughs> The metal shot. I can't talk like I clear my throat. <clears throat> wow. Some of that paint got to me, I think. Woo! That's, that's some strong stuff. All right. What do you think about that silk screen in here, Glenn? That was kind of cool. I think it's very cool. I mean, just like you say, they do everything there in-house. And uh, Well, yeah, and then, then they take that <clears throat> that box has been silk screened and they'll take it out to their bender and they've got a bender then that will will bend that that panel into the box you know the top half right. and they'll have another bottom half and so forth that's pretty cool man that was very cool by the way that uh, 
947HB is a 10 to 160 meter balanced line tuner. Mm. <clears throat> so that's, All that's right. what they were building. <clears throat> All right. Well, hey, Glenn, let's mention a ham fest coming up here real quick. We've got, let's see what we got coming up here. We've got Russellville coming up. That's on March the 2nd. March the 2nd over in uh, uh, Dardanelle, Arkansas. It's just right outside of Russellville, Arkansas, on the uh, Arkansas River. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be I'm cool. seriously planning, thinking about going to that one. Well, come on over. Uh, we're going to be there. Um, it's a, I think it's a one day. I'm not sure. I, yeah, I it is it's one, a one day. day. starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. So, you know... Um, We'll be there. That's my, my college town. Uh, you know, uh, as you guys may remember, I I made a trip back about uh, three months ago. Uh, I hadn't been to the college in about 50 years since I attended there. And, man, it has grown. That, that place has grown. Uh, anyway, I enjoy going back there. It brings back uh, old memories there. So that's the, uh, I call it the Russellville Ham Fest. It's actually the uh, Arkansas River Valley Ham Fest. And then we've got, coming up, just maybe the, what, about a week or so after that, March yeah, the, 16th, uh, March the 16th uh, two, two the weeks, Trenton. the Trenton, <clears throat> Trenton Ham Fest, they're in uh, Trenton, Tennessee, that's just north of uh, Jackson, Tennessee, it'll probably be about an hour and a half drive for us, and uh, Glenn and I are probably going to be going up here, I'm going to be doing a presentation, they've asked me to do a presentation on the... Uh, uh, on the Pico balloons that uh, we do, so we'll be doing one there. Yeah, now Dalton, Georgia is <clears throat> during that time frame as well. I had their flyer here, but it is buried under a mountain of cat fur at the moment, so that's not happening. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but if anybody knows the date for Dalton, uh, there we go. Um, Dalton is February 24th in Dalton, Georgia. Yep. That'll, that'll probably be a good one there, too. Yeah, yeah. I did a, a forum <clears throat> there probably about four or five years ago. Really nice, nice little ham fest. All right. Well, I was thinking about, hey, again, talking about Russellville. You know, April 6th, we've got the big eclipse, the total eclipse coming again. It's going to go right through the central Arkansas and right through Russellville and Little Rock. That's a uh, Little Rock's a couple hour drive from here. I thought about going over to see it, but man, I have read so much uh, from different places. Um, what I'm finding out about the, uh, and, and, and Brett gave us a report on one that came through his state uh, here a year or two ago where the, the population of the state doubled. But what I'm reading is the experiences of other people that uh, actually went to one. Um, they, uh, they went to one, uh, it was so crowded, you almost couldn't find a place to park on the interstate. Um, of course it only lasts about five or 10 minutes. Uh, and then afterwards, afterwards, uh, they almost couldn't get home. They, uh, the interstate was going, uh, walking speed to no speed. The interstate was completely packed. Uh, my understanding is gas stations were running out of gas everywhere. All the fast food places ran out of food. So it it seems like it's a 
not a great thing to be caught in. So, yeah, I think uh, the traffic's going to be pretty bad. Yeah. I toyed with going over and see it, but I think the traffic <clears throat> is just going to be a nightmare. Yeah, I checked. Uh, I checked about see if I could go over. You know, a, a couple of days early. I thought avoid the the traffic and everything. I checked hotels in Arkansas. Just about every hotel in Arkansas six months ago were charging four hundred dollars a night. Yeah. Four hundred a night, man. It wasn't a hotel I think you could get anywhere. So I don't know. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna miss that, I guess. Uh, we're not gonna Well we're gonna it. get, you know, partial over here. We'll get a little bit of it for, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I don't know what percentage we're gonna get, but you know, we'll get a, a part of it. You know, the last one we had that came through Nashville, uh about two or three years ago. Um, it was, uh, the Sunday afternoon after Huntsville Ham Fest and, uh, Nashville's just, you know, a couple hours up the road from, um, Huntsville and that, that, that would be an easy way for us to get home up to Nashville and then I-40 back to Memphis. But, uh, we decided at the last minute not to go up there. We were just going to drive up there and stop in a Walmart parking lot or somewhere and watch it, you know, but yeah, heard too many stories. So we, uh, we just stayed there in Huntsville. And we saw it. It was probably, I'd say it's probably about 60 or 70 percent, you know, uh, blocked that we saw. I've never experienced a total eclipse myself. but uh, Yeah, we came very yeah. close in Miami when I was growing up. I want to say we had like 80 to 90 percent. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chris, it's going to go near Houston. Chris, I just see Chris said in the chat room, it's going to be 95 percent down here. That would be pretty good. Um, so it's going to go right about from the bottom, um, southwest corner of Arkansas up to the northeast corner of Arkansas, just straight across to cut the state in half. That's not that far from here, guys, but I, I, I don't think I can take, uh, the traffic and, and all that. Um, so anyway, I think it's out for me. I'll have to watch it on TV. Yeah, that's probably the safest way. And you know, you know, one of the these people that are coming in, uh, you know, millions of people will be coming in from out of state, two states over, three states, four states. Oh, it's going to be and insane. and you know, making those four hundred dollar night reservations. And let me tell you, um, there's nothing to say it won't be cloudy that day. It it could very well be cloudy oh. or raining that day, and or that would snowing. be a bummer, man. That'd be a bummer. Yeah, that would yeah. really ruin it for everybody. Yep, yep. Let's see. And you know what they say about April showers. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, we had a uh, presentation here uh, uh, in in our show here, what, three weeks ago uh, with a group uh, talking about the scientific uh, studies uh, that Ham Radio will uh, provide data uh, for the eclipse and, uh, uh, they're going to come back and be on the show again, um, one more time before, uh, before, uh, it happens. All right. All right. Let's see. Let's see here. Um, Hey, um, guys, I live in a HOA in my neighborhood is an HOA, but it's really not enforced very strong. I mean, we, we pay dues, but you know, that helps to keep the entry, you know, bushes out there trimmed and fertilized and watered and all kinds of things, you know. And so we do have an HOA here. Not very strict, 
I haven't ever had any trouble with them. I've got all kinds of antennas up. But, you know, uh, probably 20 years ago, I took my tower down, my beams down, and uh, I eventually gave them away here several years ago. Uh, but I do everything with wire antennas now, and I can just about do anything with a wire antenna that I can do with, you know, a tower up and a tri-band beam up. And uh, it's it's been fun experimenting with different antennas. I've got I've got uh, 40 meter extended ZEP uh, antennas up. I've got uh, three eighths verticals for 40. I've got uh, uh, halfway verticals for for 40. I've got uh, fan dipoles. Uh, I've got uh, off center fed. I got so many wires and stuff out there. Nobody can see them. They they just blend into the trees and. You know, the lots out here are pretty big. Nobody can see it. So you can get by with HOAs if you if you want to. Some are really tough, you know. You might get by with a flag, ante flag uh, pole antenna or I tell you, I mean, you can, take, you can take some pretty small wire and it's almost invisible. I mean, you could run you a, a in-fed antenna out an uh, upstairs window or something out to a tree. Nobody would see it. In fact, a bird probably wouldn't even see it, and it'd probably run into it. So, there are antennas that you can you can put up out there. And don't oh, forget, yeah. there's all these stealth ways. Always the rain gutter. Well, yeah, I was, I, that's where I was going next. There's all these stealth ways that you know the gutters on a house. I've got a lot of gutters around my house, and hey, you take a little simple tuner like like uh, Brett's got one. I've got the SGC uh, 237, I think, auto tuner. Or, Man, the, or the AH4 is really good. If yeah. Like. Take it, and, and it don't even have to be an auto tuner. But hey, man, I take it. I take that little auto tuner. I put it out there at the bottom of one of the downspouts. I drive me a ground rod in the ground. Put that tuner right there behind a bush. Bring the coax in. I would have an all band antenna, and I guarantee you, I would work everywhere with it you could even use a manual tuner just bring it in and use a manual tuner now well, that's what i graduated to in my apartment was i used the rain gutter for a while and then um, <clears throat> i would take a fishing pole with a little <clears throat> weight on the end and i would sling uh what is it 28 gauge 30 gauge wire yeah. wrap wire out the back into a tree and i had me a nice 60 yeah. foot long wire and you could not see that thing not at all Oh yeah. Now, in my problem, I've looked at my gutters. They're they're pretty big diameter gutters, but I I would I imagine that where they're connected together, yeah, they're not connected very well. The you know no. the, the the gutters actually have has to... the gutters actually has some type of coating, uh, some type baked on you know uh, yeah. I don't know what you call it. Some, it's like paint. But anyway, if I if I was going to do that, I think I would try to get out there. And everywhere I had a gutter joint, I'd probably at least put me a sheet metal screw through it and just to yeah. make sure all of them connect, you know. So there, there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways to, to use stealth antennas. I imagine I imagine Jim is using stealth antennas right now. Um, I do live in an HOA. Uh, the HOA <clears> rules <throat> are enforced through the covenants, condition, conditions, and restrictions, uh, which is... Uh, a contract you sign as a part of the uh, uh, purchase. But when I investigated the HOA here, uh, and this is just amongst the few of us, 
the HOA had not had a meeting in 30 years. Yeah. And there were no dues being collected. <clears throat> so I decided it was not being enforced. Um, and the one of the neighbors um, complained and got together with some of the other neighbors, but there wasn't much they could do. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I did put up a three element Yagi on a uh, rotating crank up mass. In fact, I'm going to push the button and, and lower it here in just a minute. In um, fact, I, I've watched your video of your homemade crank up tower. I've watched that video. The tower is a. Uh, um, is it a tubular? Is, is it tubular? It, it's an yeah, it's a tubular tower. The uh, the speed controls and the motor and that stuff. I I added that so I. Put a motor on it. Um, as a matter of fact, from um, uh, uh, Harbor Freight, and then uh, two speed controls, pulse width modulation, one going up, one going down. Different speeds are required. <clears throat> a big 12 volt supply, and a 433 megahertz um, controller. And then I attached a Yagi to the top of the box and pointed the Yagi in towards <clears throat> the house. Mm -hmm. So. Wherever I am, I can press the button on the remote controls and run it up and down. And then I have cameras that uh, are on my cell phone, and I can look at it as it goes up and down to make sure nothing's going, yeah. nothing's going wrong. I think I think the last place I lived had a HOA too, um, but I think they had. Uh, I think the rule was you could put up an antenna not to exceed 20 feet higher than your uh, your your house. And you know, uh, you know, I mean, the houses are, are are fairly tall. I mean, by the time you have a second story and then maybe a, a tall attic, you're looking at thirty feet there. So you can you can go up to fifty true. feet. You, yeah. As a matter of fact, in this county, this city rather, <clears throat> there's a height limit of thirty feet in the uh, residentially zoned areas. Now, I was a planning commissioner and a building inspector and a deputy tax assessor and code enforcement. So. Um, 30 feet. Yeah, that's exactly the number here. And I asked, well, why 30 feet? And the guy couldn't answer. The answer is they just picked what seemed like a, re you know, 12 and 12 pitch on top of a two-story house. That's 30 feet. So, um, if your antenna is 30 feet or less, they don't care. Yeah. If it's yeah. over 30 feet, they're going to be <clears throat> knocking at your front door. And as a matter of fact, they did. Yeah. Now it, mine is, mine is 40 feet. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that like five sections of Roan 25? 40 feet would be. No, that'd be four, four. sections. They're 10 feet R long. Roughly, I mean, they're 10 foot okay. sections. Usually your well, top I got, section. I got five sections. And I well, got your top section, top section is usually what, eight feet? I think yeah, it, it comes eight shorter. feet. I thought that I thought the top section of a of a Roan 25, okay, they've changed it's it. It's about eight feet, yeah. Is, is, I thought it was a half section. Yeah. No, actually, I think I've got four four sections and the top section. So, yeah, they, yeah. they can take a tape measure. Well, I'd always take, you know, when you when you take a tower down, you can't get it out of concrete. So you always cut it off with a hacksaw. Right. And then and then you save that piece. You save that piece when you go to the next house. You just stick it down in the ground and pour concrete around it, you know. Yeah. yeah you know, I've left concrete in a couple of places. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think the, we the, all the, do. Yeah. The buyer probably is thinking, oh, I'm going to have to dig this thing out. Well, they have to go down six feet to get to the bottom. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yep. So so there's this bill now that, uh, on, that Congress has uh, put out there. And basically it's called the uh, Amateur Radio Emergency Preparedness Act of 2024. Congress has done it now. 
I don't know the wording the wording always leaves something here that that uh, can always be challenged you know uh, let's see clarify the approval process for installing antennas prohibit homeowner association rules that would prevent or ban amateur radio antennas I mean, they yep. may say, yeah, you can have one, but you can't have it more than five feet off the ground, you know. I mean, uh, I've read the text, though, and the yeah. text actually says uh, right now they say that it has to be able, they have to allow one that's at least 43 feet tall. Really? Which is not bad, although Wyoming has a better law. Wyoming yeah. has a law that says that no ordinance or regulation adopted by a county can establish a minimum height, uh, maximum height of less than 70 feet. Uh, no. In Wyoming, it's very it's a very lax huh. already. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the problem is the HOAs, homeowners associations, they're stronger than the city or county ordinance. So mm -hmm. if they limit your antenna to five, five feet off the ground, and the city says forty three, they're going to go after you if it's more than five feet off the ground. Yep. Well, and that's where that's where uh, people bring in a dump truck and they raise the ground about eight feet. You know, in the backyard, and then they put the tower on top of that. And I've seen, I've seen that done. So, oh, uh, let's see what. Let's see, is this? No, that's the wrong so I've, one. So I've gone and called the the senator's office and commented and said that they should increase that that uh, that height. You know, that that cap on the height limit a little more and make it 18 meters. And the reason why is that that's about the height of a DX commander that can get down into the 80 meter band. I figured. Okay, if you're if you're going to justify this on the basis of doing emergency communications, well, you want to be able to use 80 meters because that'll do skip a real long ways. So I don't know if they're going to make a change, but uh, that's what I recommended to them anyway. So here's where we stand. Here's where we stand with that. I don't know if you can read this or not, but you can see down at the bottom there's a little uh, track there. It's introduced, but it still has to go through past Senate, past the House. It's got to go to the president, and then it's got to, uh, then it becomes law. So we got a ways to go on that. We'll see how it goes. I know the other one they did uh, a couple, few years ago, uh, it just, it never, never worked out. So, well, it was Tom, uh, yeah. I need to take Sorry. off. All right, Jim. Well, hey, man, we're so glad you were with us tonight and, and well, felt like you. being with us, man. Appreciate you being here. I am um, very happy to be here, and I got yet another award from the ARRL. Yeah, uh, yeah. A1 Operators Award, so that's number five. <laughs> thank you. And All so, right. Um, I'm going to put that up on the wall, and I, I'm very happy. Yeah, thanks. Very happy to get that and add it to uh, uh, to the red to the other frames up on the wall. So I'm kind of proud of that. All right. Well, very good. You should All be. Right. That's, right. uh, that's so a great. So I need to go take thing. some medication, but guys, thank you very much for letting me join in and. Uh, uh, take care and hope to see you next week. All right, we'll see you next week. Thank and you. we have reached 930. Let me just make a quick announcement here. Uh, this show is Amateur Radio Roundtable. It's about ham radio, shortwave electronics, and other things. And we are on our YouTube channel, or you can just go to w5kub.com to, uh, to find our show. We're on Tuesday nights. The video shows on Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Central, w5kub.com. Or you can hear the show. You can hear the show in its entirety uh, on uh, uh, International Shortwave Station, uh, WBCQ, on 7490 
every Thursday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Is that? Yeah, Eastern Time, 5 to 7 Eastern Time. If you get a chance, join us on Tuesday nights, W5KUB.com. All right, and let me just make uh, just another quick announcement here. It may get cut off on, let's see, when we when we trim our video here. Um, for those that uh, are, are uh, uh, pulling up just a podcast, sometimes we leave the 30 minutes of pre-show music on the beginning of the show uh, to fill an, to fill a two-hour uh, slot. So if you, you know if you if you pull our show up on a podcast and you're hearing music, just fast forward 30 minutes in if you don't want to hear the music. Fast forward 30 minutes in. That's where the show starts, and uh, that would be uh, that'd be cool. You know, one of the things I get. Every 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 show I get uh, I get hit. YouTube tells me our show, our because of our music, our show has been banned in Russia. So nobody in Russia is seeing our show. Probably again tonight, depending on the music we played here. Anyway, that's my announcements, and I'm sticking to it. All right, well, guys, we just about did another one. Any last words? Anything to say? No, I'm just looking forward to getting to all these ham fests. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dayton's just not all that far off. Oh, that reminds me. I am looking for volunteers that are going to Dayton that will just walk around with their smartphone and be a video guy for us. Give us 50, give us 20 minutes twice. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to webcast on Saturday. If you can give us 20 minutes of your time walking around, just showing what you're seeing that morning or maybe that afternoon, I need I need about 10 people, and uh, we will from the studio here. We'll bring you guys in. I, I hope to have a, a good high impact show with lots of video, uh, and we're going to give away. We will give away a lot of prizes to our viewers out there that day if I can get about 10 volunteers to help me to stream various videos from uh, the Dayton Hamvention. If I can't get that, there's really no need of even doing a stream uh, that yeah. Saturday. So hopefully somebody will come through and we'll get some we'll get some helpers. Well, if you want an easy one, you can record my forum, which will give you an hour, and you get to sit and relax and just record. And we'll, well get time to stream I, that I, live. I really wouldn't relax that much because it would take me 10 hours to get up there set the camera up another no, 30 minutes and in 10 hours 10 phone. hours to drive home so i i can't do it now if one of those volunteers that's what i'm saying get one of those volunteers if one of those volunteers can do it and he would like to hear an hour your presentation that would be great you know all right so hey if you're interested contact me uh, my email is tom at w5kub.com or or you know put it on our facebook group All right, Glenn, good night, man. We'll see you yeah, next week. It's time. It's popcorn and peanut butter sandwich time. Yeah, and uh, Brett, well, I guess we'll see you next week. Yeah, for me, it's bird time. I've got to go and collect eggs for my wife. All right, man. Yes. All right. Okay, well. We'll see you care. guys later. Good night, everybody. Good night.